Leviticus 16, the Day of Atonement. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by the lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household, and he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and the two handfuls of finely ground fragrance, incense, and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord, and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the tablets of the covenant law, so that he will not die. He is to take some of the bull's blood and with his finger sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. Then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and the rebellion of the Israelites whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting which is among them in the midst of the uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out. Having made atonement for himself, his household and the whole community of Israel, then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on all the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and to consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites. 
all their sins and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place and the man shall release it in the wilderness. Then Aaron is to go into the tent of meeting and take off the linen garments he put on before he entered the most holy place and he is to leave them there. He shall bathe himself with water in the sanctuary area and put on his regular garments. Then he shall come out and sacrifice the burnt offering for himself and the burnt offering for the people to make atonement for himself and for the people. He shall also burn the fat of the sin offering on the altar. The man who releases the goat as a scapegoat must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterward he may come into the camp. The bull and the goat for the sin offerings, whose blood was brought into the most holy place to make atonement, must be taken outside the camp. Their hides, flesh and intestines are to be burned up. The man who burns them must wash his clothes and bathe himself from, with water. Afterward he may come into the camp. So this is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month you must deny yourselves and not do any work, whether native-born or a foreigner residing among you. Because on this day atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord you will be clean from all your sins. It is a day of Sabbath rest and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. The priest who is anointed and ordained to succeed his father as high priest is to make atonement. He is to put on the sacred linen garments and to make atonement for the most holy place. For the tent of meeting and the altar, and for the priests and all the members of the community, this is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites, and it was done as the Lord had commanded Moses. Thanks, James. <clears throat> if you've got your Bibles open, you're welcome to leave them open there as we explore that chapter. Can you imagine uh, what it would be like if the whole of Australia observed the true meaning of Easter? All of us. You know, if all 25 million people were to turn up at major centres of worship and to acknowledge the life-giving purpose of Jesus' sacrifice. Bigger than election day. Imagine the churches getting so full that we needed to use stadiums and parks and concert halls and cinemas and all that sort of thing as well. Imagine a gospel message being broadcast across the country and reaching every single person, every citizen in it. And then imagine an all-in celebration of the Lord's Supper. This huge nationwide feast or party. Can you imagine that? All on one day. Now, I'm not trying to advocate here for a theocracy in Australia. Although after yesterday, maybe some of you are wishing for that. But what I want to do is just give you a little glimpse into the significance of the historic annual day of atonement or Yom Kippur as it's often known today. Now it's true Israel was not 25 million large at that point but it was at least a couple of million people 
And they were all called to turn out, to gather and observe this very special day, the Day of Atonement. And we're starting our series in Leviticus here in the very middle of the book, considering this special day, because atonement is the key to the whole message. It's the key, and not just the key of this book, Leviticus, but really the key of the whole law and of the whole of Scripture and, of course, the gospel itself. Atonement is the centre. Whether we're talking about the sacrificial system uh, or the ministry of priests, atonement is the centre. Whether we're talking uh, about purity laws or a holiness code, atonement is the centre. Whether we're talking about covenant redemption or covenant commitment, atonement is the centre. And by the way, we're going to be talking about all of those things as we go through this series. And see, what is so beautiful about the book of Leviticus is that it points us so completely to Christ. Because atonement is in Jesus Christ. Christ is the centre. Christ is the centre. No other Old Testament book is as Christ-centred as the book of Leviticus. Although, of course, they all are. But Leviticus really tops the list. It is literally dripping with the gospel. So we're going to begin today with this day, the Day of Atonement, and consider the reason, the rules, and the requisite for the occasion, which is relationship, holiness, and atonement. And these are the big themes of of this chapter, but really they're also the big themes of the entire book, as we'll come to see. So firstly, the reason for the occasion is relationship and fellowship with God. If you zoom out and and consider this whole chapter as one chunk, you can potentially see it in three stages. In verses 3 to 14, there are instructions for drawing near to God, coming into his presence. And we see that in the preparation for the high priest, for the sacrifices, for the tabernacle, and especially for the most holy place, which is where God has his dwelling. And then in verses 15 to 22, there are instructions for making atonement there in the presence of God. And we're going to come back to that one, but ultimately it's about the people being able to continue having a relationship with God. And then in verses 23 to 28, there are some instructions for withdrawing from God's presence. And that includes you know, the priest changing his clothes, uh, the returning to the camp and the disposing of waste from the sacrifices. And then there's, of course, some introductory and some concluding uh, verses on either side of all of that. But the point of that is, relationship and fellowship with God is the overarching reason for the day. Atonement is at the center, yes, but there's this big umbrella sitting over the whole thing, which is relationship with God. It's like we read in the confessions, our ultimate purpose is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. 
to enjoy him, how? In relationship. To have fellowship with him as he originally intended for his people to have. Perhaps it's good to maybe think of it a bit like a dinner party. Uh, If I invite you to a dinner party, the reason is to enjoy the connection that we share, to have some fellowship. Uh, And even if the the, the kind of underlying purpose of that occasion is something special to celebrate, like a birthday or something like that, even then, that doesn't trump the pre-existing relationships, does it? They are more special than the occasion itself. And that's why we tend to invite friends to celebrate with us on times like that. So the reason that we've used the word uh, reconciled in the series title is because we cannot forget that the purpose of atonement or purity or obedience or holiness or any of those things is relationship. Our connection with God. It is all about that. We saw this in 1 John chapter 1 uh, a couple of months ago. He says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. That is the gospel of Jesus. We proclaim that so you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship with God Himself. And see, the purpose of Israel's laws and festivals and sacrifices and priesthood and all the other, you know, little bits and pieces that we'll come across was so they could walk with their God. And it was whenever they forgot that reality, to walk humbly with their God, when they forgot that and they made it all about the laws and the festivals and the sacrifices themselves is when their religion became empty and worthless. And that's when God would often say, I don't care about your sacrifices, they're a stench to me, get rid of them. Because they forgot relationship. They forgot the heart. And I think sometimes we even do this with our social occasions, don't we? Just to continue that example. You know, we get so caught up in the details, perhaps the food or maybe the seating or the atmosphere background stuff, we forget about the main purpose, don't we? We make it all about sort of entertaining or showing what we can do instead of the fellowship, the connection, the relationships. But what about our spiritual lives? In what ways do we, do you, get distracted from relationship and fellowship with God? You know, does your Bible reading and your prayer, does that become just some sort of ritual as opposed to communing with our Father? Does church attendance become like an observation rather than this special time of fellowship with God and with each other that it is meant to be? Perhaps even our catch-ups with other Christians, do they become trivial and worldly? as opposed to embedded in the gospel and and where we can share our relationship with Jesus. Perhaps we can change it this week. Perhaps we'll open the Bible and we'll expect that God, our Father, is going to speak directly to us because he does. 
Or perhaps we'll pray by opening our hearts to our Father, being real. Perhaps we'll come to church next Sunday to meet with God, to meet with Him in worship, in the Word. Perhaps we'll connect with each other, even today, even after the service, to chat about our relationship with Jesus, the help that He gives us, the hope that He gives us. The reason for the occasion is relationship and fellowship. And then the rules for the occasion, of which there are many, as you might have been thinking as we read through the chapter, and as you will probably be thinking as we read through more and more of Leviticus, there are so many rules. But these rules are all about holiness, obedience, and righteousness. That is, there is a right way to approach God and there is a wrong way to approach God. There's God's way for approaching him and then there is the worldly or the human or the sinful way to do so. The chapter actually begins with this reference back to chapter 10, which is where Aaron's sons are put to death for approaching God the wrong way. They burned Uh, fire and incense without permission. So God struck them down. And we'll come back to that episode in a few weeks, but the point is, this is God's party. And so his people are to attend by his rules, his way. Whether they are rules for preparation or rules for sacrificing or rules for cleaning up and all the details that go with it. That was God's way. That was an orderly way. And it wasn't just for the Day of Atonement. It's for all the laws in the book of Leviticus and, of course, in Exodus and in Numbers and in Deuteronomy as well. They are about approaching God and walking with God His way. It's a bit like my my dinner party that is becoming a reality for, if you look at the date, that's today. So... This has rules, it has etiquette that you must follow. The invite says there to come on a specific day, at a specific time. If you come two hours late, that is poor etiquette. If you come the next day, that's even worse. It says to wear a suit. If you come in your trackies, I'm going to banish you. You're not invited anymore. It's about catching up and chatting, as all good dinner parties are. And so if you come and you sit on your phone all night and do work or whatever else, well then you're not my friend anymore. Because that's rude and that's dodgy. And see, God's rules for his party, for, for relationship with him, they're all about holiness. They're, that is, they're all uh, about doing things God's way instead of the world's way. Holiness Uh, we talk a lot about in the book of Leviticus and it's the reason for the second word in the series title which is separation because it's about being set apart from those worldly ways. Doing things God's way. Our worship or in other words our relating to God that's never supposed to be about our way, 
or our preferences. It's supposed to be God's way. Whether you like to do things a traditional way or whether you like to do things a progressive way, neither is the point. The point is we approach God His way as He reveals it to us. We approach Him for relationship, not just going through the motions. We approach Him with our hearts, not just with our mouths or even sitting and standing or whatever else it might be. We approach him through Jesus, which we are coming to. Rigid legalism is not God's way. Loose or or compromised values is not God's way. Consuming an experience is not God's way. Cheering like a spectator at a sports match, that's not God's way. And I wonder, do you fall into any of those traps? You default to one of those approaches. God's way is humility and repentance and heartfelt surrender. Have a look at uh, verses 29 to 31 again. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and not do any work, whether native-born or a foreigner residing among you, because on this day, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sin. It is a day of Sabbath rest and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. Deny yourself. Some of the hardest words we find in Scripture, aren't they? Deny your way of doing things. Deny your preference. Deny your selfish agenda. And do it God's way. This is the example that Jesus shows us on the cross, isn't it? He does it God's way. This is the gospel way. And what does he say to us? Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. This is what holiness means for us. This is what true obedience looks like. This is the gospel call that is actually at the very heart of the law. Give up the worldly way. Give up the selfish way. Give up the I want to do it my way and embrace God's way, the way of the cross. And that brings us to the last thing this morning, which is the requisite for the occasion. The requisite is atonement and purity. This is ultimately, as we said, what the day is about. There cannot be reconciled relationship without atonement. There cannot be holiness or obedience without atonement. There cannot be people in God's presence without a total cleansing from sin. Even at my dinner party, trivial though it is, by the way, it doesn't actually exist, so don't rock up to my house tonight, please. 
But even there, I might ask you to leave your dirty shoes at the door, especially if they're muddy. And if you've been out tilling the fields, I don't know if anybody does that anymore, or perhaps working the construction site, I'd probably expect you to have a shower before you came. No filth in my house, thank you very much. And see, the Day of Atonement was a day of cleaning. It's a big scrub-up. It's like the once a year uh, annual, sorry, that was repetitive, uh, the annual spring clean that you might do in your house. When you get into all the, the little nooks and crannies and you, you, know, you attack all the, the dust and the mould and the cobwebs. And by the way, if you want some tips on mould, uh, there'll actually be a lot of those when we come back to chapter 14, so that's a bonus. But hopefully it'll be good to explore in that the relationship between physical purity and spiritual purity. Because there's a lot of that in Leviticus. But right here, in the Day of Atonement, we are talking about purity from sin. Spiritual purity. Look at the last verse of the chapter. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. So how was this done? Well, through two goats. A sacrificed goat and a scapegoat. Now, there was also a bull and a ram uh, sacrificed in the mix of that. Uh, And the bull was mainly for the cleansing of Aaron, the high priest, uh, so that he could enter the most holy place and, of course, perform the rest of the ceremony. Uh, And the ram was there as a burnt offering. We'll talk about that more next week. But of the two goats, the first one is sacrificed as a sin offering for the people. As I said, we'll talk more about the different types of sacrifices next week. But the sin offering was used to make atonement for sometimes specific sins, uh, often unintentional sins, and even, to a point, sins of the whole nation. And it was there to clean the slate, to clean the person. That's what atonement is. It's about wiping the debt. It's about purifying the sinner, making them clean. And so then the other goat was used as a scapegoat so that all the sins of those people that have been lifted from them, taken off them because they're now clean, they are symbolically placed on this other goat who's then sort of sent off into the wilderness and banished. And that was how God would deal with the sin itself. The first goat was there to provide atonement and then the second goat was really a substitute for all the people's rebellion and rejection sin and impurity and it is right here in these verses in the heart of the chapter which is in the heart of this book that we find the very heart of the gospel because Jesus Christ who is the son of God he comes and he takes the place of both of those goats for us a once and for all sacrifice for our sins. He is the atonement and he is the substitute. Consider the atonement back in uh, 1 John chapter 2. 
He says, if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. And he's described as the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And as we read in Hebrews chapter 9, he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. But how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. The blood of Christ. We sang a fair bit before about the blood of Jesus. It's a weird thing. Christians talk so much about blood, but it is such an important thing. The blood of Christ provides us atonement, unlike that of any goat or bull or anything else. For he is the righteous one. He is the ultimate high priest who dwells in the very presence of God, who is the very presence of God, the new tabernacle, and his blood has the power to purify all of us and to wipe all of our sin completely clean, no matter what it is. So let me ask you, are you carrying around any particular sin? Are you wearing it right now? Or as you came to church this morning? Perhaps it's a really significant sin that is weighing heavily on you and sitting especially on your conscience. Or perhaps it's an habitual sin that just continues to chip away at your conscience and nags and will not let go. Well, let me tell you, the blood of Jesus is the only thing to wash that clean. And it does. No sin is a match for his atoning sacrifice. So he is our atonement, but he is also our substitute. As we read in Isaiah 53, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. It was placed on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own selfish, sinful way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He's the scapegoat. John the Baptist sums it up when he declares, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Takes it out of our presence. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When Jesus was crucified, 
outside the city gates. That's important to remember. Outside the city gates, in the symbolic wilderness, all of our sin was placed on him. All of it. And for hours he suffered the phenomenal weight of that sin, being cast out of the presence of God and left for dead. He was the scapegoat who became sin for us. He was the sacrifice who washes us clean. Can you understand or feel or know the full weight, the superior weight of Jesus' compassion and grace in that death? Are you overwhelmed with gratitude for his sacrifice? Because we need to be. And if at any, any point this morning, I don't want to say anything trivial, but if at any point this morning you, even in the background of your minds, thought, oh, that poor goat, that's a bit cruel, isn't it, to do that to a goat? I want you to think instead about what is done to the perfect, holy, righteous Son of God. For you, for me, for all of us. This is the gospel according to Leviticus. It's a huge signpost with a gigantic arrow that points directly at Jesus. Jesus, our reconciliation with God. Jesus, our holiness and righteousness. Jesus, our atonement, our purity. Jesus, our substitute and freedom. Jesus, our salvation and hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus who came once and for all to atone for our sin, to wash us clean, to take our sin upon himself and to give us life. Lord, we confess how easy it is to forget the marvellous weight of his compassion and grace. We confess that we often try to wear our own sin and carry it around. And we acknowledge this morning that the only cure for us is the blood of Jesus Christ shed for us, offered for us, so that we can be completely clean. We thank you that he reconciles us to you that we can come into your presence we can enjoy a relationship with you and fellowship with you and we can do that together we thank you in jesus name amen